0: The People's History of Kansas City podcast is supported by the Kemper Museum of Contemporary Art, celebrating 30 years at the block party on Saturday, May 4th. Visitors can enjoy music, food trucks, exhibitions, and artist-led activities. Learn more at KemperArt.org.
1: This is a People's History of Kansas City, a podcast from KCUR 89.3. I'm Suzanne Hogan. You can't stop
2: time. There's all this opportunity to, like, get to some meaning in your life and you miss it.
3: They said it was something that we would never see in, you know, a number of years again.
1: So this episode is about a Missourian who had an incredible gift. He was pretty famous around these parts in his time, but you probably haven't heard of him today. Jim allegedly predicted the winner of the Kentucky Derby, the World Series. He apparently could predict the gender of unborn babies. And he was like an amazing quail hunter.
2: This dog could do everything and like nobody knows about
1: it. I'm talking about Jim the Wonder Dog, a Llewellyn Sutter who also happens to be the official state wonder dog of Missouri. To be fair, he's like the only official state wonder dog of all the states. And Wonder Dog Freaks out there, I know about Bobby the Wonder Dog of Oregon, who traveled 2,000 miles to get back to his master's home in the dead of winter in 1920. It's an amazing and beautiful story, but he was never named the official Wonder Dog by his state, okay? So in my book, this makes Jim like our nation's Wonder Dog. And I'm going to level with you. I'm finally getting to do one of my bucket list stories. If you've heard about Jim the Wonder Dog and know anything about me, you know why. Those of you who haven't, I'm hoping you will understand by the end of this podcast. Jim was an amazing dog. And I know this whole thing is called people's history. And yes, Jim was a dog. But the best part of Jim is that special thing his story brings out in people.
2: People that know about Jim the Wonder Dog, you just start laughing and you're telling these stories and everybody else is looking at you like you're out of your mind.
1: Every time I hang out with my friend Frank Schlegel, we end up talking about Jim the Wonder Dog without fail. The guy is, like, obsessed.
2: I hound everybody about Jim the Wonder Dog.
1: He's the person who first told me this wild tale and who first gave me the idea to do this story. Frank first caught the Jim bug when he was in college. He was in his 20s studying philosophy in New York, and his brother-in-law, who's from Jefferson City, sent him a peculiar book. Written in the 1940s that tells the story of Jim, a seemingly psychic dog who lived in Missouri in the 1920s and 30s.
2: This unexplained thing just really caught my attention for being both silly and like impossible and then the kind of strange truth of, of, of like what would it mean if there was a dog that had superpowers.
1: Frank pretty much lost it when I told him that I got the okay to do this podcast about Jim.
2: Is- yeah! <laughs> Jim yeah. the a- This movie. is the best yeah. news! Yeah.
1: What would it mean if there was a dog that had superpowers? Here's the thing. Even though Jim was a real dog who could seemingly do amazing things, like I said earlier, his story isn't that well known. This Jim the Wonder Dog book that Frank got by Clarence Dewey Mitchell documents the story of Jim's life, and in many ways has kept his memory alive all these years. But it has kind of a major problem. It was written from the perspective of Jim.
2: Like, I was born a poor dog in the deep south, this sort of thing.
1: It actually starts like this.
2: I well
0: remember the home where I was born. It was an ordinary kennel facing the south with a large side door for bedding we had some straw and over this some old rag which had formerly been a blanket used in the master's home.
1: Nancy Daly also came across this book in kind of a strange way. She was working at Missouri Valley College in Marshall, Missouri, when a stack of books was discovered in the library vault that had been originally banned from the shelves. And among those books was Jim the Wonder Dog.
3: I couldn't imagine why somebody would ban a book about a dog. Well, her reasoning was that since the book had been written from the viewpoint of the dog, that that was the reason to ban it, because
1: dogs cannot talk. It's true. Dogs cannot talk. But not everything in that original Jim the Wonder Dog book was necessarily inaccurate. The author had actually met Jim and knew his owner. It's just that the story needed a little more credibility. So Nancy Daly decided to write a new book about Jim, not from the dog's perspective, but rather from the regular old third person, based on her research and old newspapers. It came out in 2018. So here's Jim's story. We think Jim originally came from Louisiana. What we know is that in 1925, Sam Van Arsdale, who was an avid hunter and worked in hotels, was living in West Plains, Missouri, when he got a puppy delivered to him, but he wasn't sure from who exactly. Mr. Van Arsdale had previously met a traveling dog breeder and salesman who was trying really hard to get him to buy one of his hunting dogs, but it was way too expensive for him, so he had turned it down.
3: And then later, when he got this unexpected delivery of a puppy, the only possible explanation could have been this, you know, breeder.
1: That's how the story goes, and it's about as much as we can verify of the puppy's origin. Mr. Van Arsdale named the dog Jim, after a scene from an old Will Rogers movie. Jim was a Llewellyn setter, a popular hunting breed. He had a mostly black head, white snout, and chest. And he did have one striking feature that basically everybody brings up when they talk about Jim.
0: He had a superhuman look out of his eyes.
1: He had riveting Human-like eyes, eyes that would seem to look right through you.
0: The dog's eyes, when I was a kid, they struck me as weird, different.
3: His eyes looked humanly intelligent.
1: If you're able to do a quick Google image search of Jim right now, I'd suggest you do so. His eyes were something. Those accounts of Jim's wild eyes are all from a documentary made by Missouri Valley College in 1997. It was an attempt to gather an oral history of people's firsthand accounts of Jim. The idea was to get these stories recorded while people who had met Jim were still around. And it's a good thing they made that movie when they did, because anybody who had met Jim has since passed away. Sam Van Arsdale's niece raised Jim in his early puppy days, and then he was sent to a trainer so he could become a hunting dog. Nancy Daly says... That's when folks started to notice that Jim was a little odd.
3: You might say he stood out in one way. He'd go under a tree and lie down in the shade He and watch the other dogs. He would never do anything
1: involved with training. Sam Fennard still learned about Jim's training experience and thought, well, this dog is probably a bust. But he still thought he'd take him out quail hunting to see for sure.
3: Jim didn't do any of the zigzag back and forth to pick up a trail. He went
1: straight to where the quail were. And Sam thought, dang, this is great. Jim turned out to be one hell of a quail hunting dog. According to Sam Van Arsdale, in his lifetime, Jim caught over 5,000 quail, and then he lost count. But then, one day in particular, Jim's abilities took an even more interesting turn. The story goes, Sam and Jim were out hunting, and it was really hot. And Sam Van Arsdale was tired. So he said something out loud to Jim
3: about, uh, resting under this tree, a hickory tree, I think. And uh, Jim went right straight to the hickory tree and sat down. And he said, really? How did he know that was a hickory tree? Did he? Is this a fluke? So he asked him to find an elm tree. And Jim went to the elm tree. He asked him for an oak. And Jim went right to an oak tree. And a walnut tree. And he went right straight to the walnut tree. Every single time, Whatever he, whichever tree he was asked to find, he did.
1: It's at this moment that Sam Van Arsdale started to realize that he had a really special dog here. So he tested Jim in other ways beyond his tree knowledge to see what all he could do. For a while, the Van Arsdales were living in a hotel in Sedalia, but he'd hunt and travel around a lot too, to other places throughout Missouri, Arkansas, and the Midwest, and he'd always take Jim with him, showing off his different talents. Here's Bill Bellamy remembering some of the incredible things he witnessed Jim do. It's from that documentary video made by Missouri Valley College.
0: So Mr. Bernarsdal had the dog do some things for us. Among other things, he had him pick out the lady with the red coat on, which he did and pick out the engineer, who was my uncle, which he did. And, I, of course, I figured both of those things could be hand signals or something else.
1: Bill Bellamy was a retired attorney and former circuit judge in Marshall, Missouri. This memory of Jim's performance would have been in the 1930s, when he would have been in high school.
0: And then they gave him a license number. Now, I don't remember whether they gave it to him orally or whether they wrote it out and put it on a piece of paper.
1: Jim's ability to pick out license plate numbers is a particular task that a lot of people remember seeing Jim do. Sam Van Arsdale would write down a seemingly random license plate number. And then Jim would walk up and down the street, sometimes even turning a corner. And then he'd...
0: Put his paw on this car with this particular license number on it. I figured that couldn't couldn't have been a hand signal, so that's the best I can do.
1: It's hard to hear here, but the moderator asks Mr. Bellamy if witnessing that trick made him a believer in Jim.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so.
1: Another thing lots of people would say is that Sam Van Arsdale would ask Jim questions in kind of a roundabout, strange way that would really throw spectators for a loop.
3: Instead of saying, can you pick out the doctor in the crowd, he would say, if you had a stomachache, what would you do? And Jim would go over to the doctor and put his paw on
1: In a group of traveling salesmen, Sam Van Arsdale asked Jim to pick out the guy with the most change in his pocket. And he did. He said, Jim, find a Bible. And he put his paw on the preacher in the crowd. This was the
3: Great Depression. And people didn't have money. They were losing their homes. They were losing farms. There wasn't much of anything to do. And so if you were in town and saw Jim... This was, first of all, free, and second of all, amazing. And it would take their mind off of the troubles they were going through.
1: If this was some elaborate illusion or trick with signals, hidden meat sticks, or peanut butter treats, or whatever, Sam Van Arsdale sure played it up. Because the way the story goes is Sam wanted to see what made Jim so special. According to the Sedalia Democrat, in 1931, Jim and Sam went to Columbia, Missouri, to be tested by two faculty members from the University of Missouri, one person from the veterinary school and another from the School of Agriculture. Jim would have been six then. They gave Jim a physical examination, and yes, the dog's eyes were very noticeable, and he had kind of a broad cranium, but other than that, Jim seemed perfectly normal. Then, Sam Van still had Jim do some of his normal tricks. And then Nancy Daly says the testing went even further. Well, someone asked
3: him to do something in German. Someone else asked in French. Someone else asked in maybe Spanish. The one that stuck out to me was the Greek. The Greek professor handed him a sheet of paper with Greek written on it. And, of course, Sam can't read it and doesn't know. And so he asked Jim to do what was written on the paper, and Jim didn't move. So he was kind of apologizing for it. And one of the students picked up the paper and looked at it and he said, well, he's not doing anything because it doesn't tell him to. This is just the Greek alphabet. This had been a
1: trick meant to stump Jim, but he managed to pass. Now, plenty of people were skeptical of Jim and Mr. Van Arsdale. It's just nobody could figure out how he did what he did. Sam would even make that part of the bit sometimes, saying to Jim, there's someone here who doubts what you can do And sure enough, Jim would go right to the skeptic and put his paw on them. In the case of the university testing, the academics were also stumped. Their conclusion? They couldn't detect any signals from Mr. Van Arsdale. Jim was the smartest dog they had ever seen. And they said
3: it was something that we would never see in, you know, a number of years
1: again. You listen to A People's History of Kansas City for a fresh take on local history. We want to honor these stories, and we take the reporting very seriously. And sometimes we just need to chill. Want to hang? Let's party! Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro will make a special appearance, and boy, it's going to be bumping. you got to be there. Please come support our work. Ticket information is available at kcur.org radioactive. Paramount Pictures filmed the university testing to make it part of their newsreel. But for some reason, it didn't make the cut. Sam and Jim presented their bit before a joint session of the legislature in Jefferson City. Sam Arsdale started to receive different offers to show off Jim and capitalize off of his talents.
3: He was offered uh, a contract to be, fin- spend a year in uh, Hollywood and work with the movies, have Jim work there. And he turned it down. He wouldn't do it. He was offered uh, dog food commercials and he would not do it.
1: Nobody knows why exactly Sam turned down these opportunities with Jim. It's been reported that he didn't think that the hunting would be very good in Hollywood. But this whole point that Mr. Van Arsdale didn't seem to be trying to be super famous or make a lot of money off of Jim is a big part of the story that Jim fans today really like. Also this whole question of how was this possible was it an elaborate hoax? A grand illusion? Maybe Jim was just really intuitive and good at picking up on body language. Maybe some of these accounts were embellished. Was Jim a miracle? Do you believe in magic? Sam and his wife Pearl and Jim continued to travel around the region, all the while doing random demonstrations for folks. They eventually moved to Marshall, Missouri to manage the Rough Hotel. Yes, Rough spelled R-U-F-F. It's actually some family name, but I know. Sam would have Jim do tricks in the lobby in Town Square. He became a focal point of the community. But Nancy Daly says Jim wasn't written about in Marshall newspapers nearly as much as he had been in other places.
3: People said that they just accepted Jim, and they knew he was
1: a bit unusual, but they really didn't pay that much attention to it. Sam and Jim were out hunting when Jim collapsed. He later passed away at the vet in Sedalia when he was 12 years old. Sam and his wife Pearl were heartbroken. Pearl was unable to have kids, so Jim had always been a huge part of their family unit. The Venarsdills tried to get Jim buried in Ridge Park Cemetery in Marshall, Missouri, but the cemetery wouldn't allow it because the cemetery was for people, not dogs. So Sam arranged to have Jim buried just outside the cemetery. And over the years, the cemetery eventually expanded. Now Jim's grave is actually inside the cemetery. And it's the most visited grave there. I wish I could have met him, <laughs> seen him.
3: I did have a friend, I mentioned that too, and she says, oh, that would have been great,
1: but you'd be over 100 years old. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> With Jim gone, Sam and Pearl Van Arsdale, and all the people who ever saw Jim perform, the question of how this all was possible is even more of a mystery. And nobody asked Jim how he did anything. This exact point is, I think, the main reason my friend Frank Schlegel is so obsessed with Jim's story and somewhat conflicted by the whole thing.
2: You had like this access to the all knowing oracle. And you're like, "Show me a woman in a red dress." You're like, "No, that's not the question that you ask." You're you're at the oracle. You've got your shot, and you're gonna ask it for a license plate. No, you're gonna, you know, what's the meaning of life? Everything. You know, nobody nobody asked Jim that question.
1: You feel like it was a missed opportunity. Oh yeah,
2: it was, and that was right that nobody because nobody knows what to do with it. Like, and maybe that's true of all, like, people and things in our life. Like, we, there's all this opportunity to, like, get to some meaning in your life and you miss it because you're just, like, stuck on this sort of science, like, how
1: side as opposed to the why side. Letting go of the how side and focusing on the why side is even harder for someone like me and I think Frank, too. Jim could identify trees. He knew the Greek alphabet. He was such a good dog. I guess I don't care how he did it. If it was lies or illusions, I don't even want to know. I'm more caught up on the why. Why does Jim's story still capture people today? Why do I want to believe in a dog with superpowers? What does that say about me? When I found out that the town of Marshall and the friends of Jim the Wonder Dog organization were hosting Jim the Wonder Dog Day, we had to go.
2: Do you think that this car ahead of us is also
1: going They're like... Yeah, I think everybody Everybody going this direction is is going. going Frank, my boyfriend, and I took the trip to Marshall, Missouri for Wonder Dog Day. I wanted to know, why do I want to believe? And what better way to do that than surround myself with other gym believers? Frank was imagining it would be an opportunity to really nerd out on the whole thing with other gym superfans. Maybe there would be a lecture. I wasn't really sure. I figured, worst case scenario, there'd be dogs. And I'd finally get to see the Jim Memorial Garden, located where the rough hotel used to be.
2: So what would you ask Jim the Wonder (laughs) Dog?
1: Frank loves to philosophize and ask Jim fans that question. If Jim were alive today, what would you ask him? The types of questions normally end up in either two categories. One, questions that try to disprove Jim's abilities, like asking Jim a thing, something only you would know the answer to, like where did you meet your first love, or what's your favorite color, or whatever. And then the more oracle type of direction, like is God real? Or what path should I take in life? When we get to Marshall, it's not quite the scene any of us are expecting. It's not a big Jim Coachella or an academic Jim debate. It's a group of about 40 families with their dogs, here for a dog competition and a small parade. Fourth grader Tanner Sailor is here with his two dogs. He's entered them into a few categories. Shortest tail, best kisser, best trick, and the owner and pet look-alike contest.
3: Her name is Chiwi and... Chiwi? I'm yes, she's blind and her left eye, just like me. And she has no teeth, so her tongue is always
2: sticking out.
1: Other categories are Best Bark, Biggest Dog, Smallest Dog, Dog that looks the most like Jim. About halfway through the Best Dog Trick category, it really starts to hit me how incredible it must have been to see Jim do what he did. Sit. In all fairness, there are a lot of distractions here, but some of these dogs are having a really hard time just doing some of the basics. Sit. There are, however, a few pretty good tricks out there. Watching a dog jump through a hoop or balance a stick or retrieve something from far away is pretty cool. After the competition's wrap-up, I meet up with David Schmidt, who placed in the dog and owner look-alike contest. He paid for the large mural of Jim on the side of the Jim the Wonder Dog Museum. The idea for the mural came to him after his son was killed in a car accident. He met his dog Precious soon after that tragedy.
0: I didn't even know the pound was open on Sunday. And I opened the door, and the girl knew me. She said, Dave, why don't you take Precious home? I did. She said, bring her back in three days if you don't like her. We got in the car. We went home. And I never took her back. She's a beautiful companion. Look at her. All these people, she don't need anything except me. God sent her to me, I needed her.
4: He truly was an exceptional, as the Buddhists say, sentient being.
1: Chris Delaney is another Jim superfan,
4: and it uh, brings out the importance of you know, kind of like the universal oneness of everything, and how much dogs can help us.
1: Chris is a part of the Friends of Jim organization that hosts this event every year. He traveled to Marshall all the way from South Carolina for Wonder Dog Day.
4: I just think the Jim the Wonder Dog story is very—it's healing. It's just a beautiful story. It's something that uh, lifts our spirit. Um,
1: Why is that important? Because. <clears throat> now, Chris Delaney's eyes start to tear up.
4: Our country is just. We're. They don't understand that anymore. You know, simple acts of you know kindness or your pet, simple things, and and I just think it's. Uh, as I get older, I I just like to do simple acts of kindness.
1: It's the second time within 30 minutes that two strangers, only bound by our shared interest in an amazing dog, have opened up, cried, talked about deep feelings, their joys and fears, what really matters to them.
4: Sam Van Arsdale would would take Jim Jim around to all the small towns doing the the thirties when people were kind of down, and he would put on these demonstrations and lift their spirits.
1: Chris Delaney and I walked through Jim's memorial garden, and it is beautiful. There's a pond, pretty flowers, and in the center, there's a nice sculpture of Jim, his wild eyes staring at the building where the Jim the Wonder Dog Museum is. The people who run this museum hope that Jim's story and this place will attract more tourism to the town. Why do I want to believe in a wonder dog in Missouri with unexplained superpowers? I guess because, well, why not? I think it's good to have a sense of wonder. It keeps things interesting. I love the way writer Nancy Daly puts it. There are many things out in
3: this world that we have no answer for, but we should accept it and enjoy what we can from it. And this was something that you could say Jim gave, that Sam and Jim gave to the world.
1: A People's History of Kansas City is a production from KCUR 89.3, made possible with the support of the Midwest Genealogy Center, which can help you learn more about the history of Kansas City through a searchable version of the Kansas City Star dating back to 1880. Learn more at mymcpl.org genealogy. We're gonna take a little break, but don't worry, we'll be back in April with some more episodes. So stay tuned to this feed for more amazing local history stories. We've got a killer list that we're gonna start picking away at. And if you have some ideas for a topic, a person, or an animal that you think we should explore as an episode, please send it my way. You can either give me a call and leave a message, 816-235-8930, that's 816 816- Two three five eighty nine thirty, or you can send me an email peopleshistorykc at kcur.org. And if you liked this episode, then please feel free to share it with your friends, or better yet, write us a review. It really, really does help out. Our team is Sylvia Maria Gross, Mike Russo, Ann Kniggendorf, and Salisa Kalakal. We had help from Ronnie Baldwin, C.J. Janovey, Cody Newell, Krista Henthorne, and Tracy Bauer. Our theme music is by Primary Color, and we also had tracks this episode from Roscoe, Paddington Bear, Ketsa, Lobo Loco, and Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Suzanne Hogan. Take care, and thanks for listening.